in our most holy Bibles to the gospel according to Matthew chapter 6. Maybe you came wondering if I was going to turn your attention back to the book of Acts, but we'll take a break at least for this week, and I'm sure we'll be back in there. But we're going to go to the gospel according to Matthew, and we're actually, this is just going to be a launching point. We're going to have several scripture readings tonight, but Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9 is where we will begin our reading. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9. Uh, I also just want to say uh, thank you to this great church family uh, for getting behind uh, your pastor and his family and the leadership of this church and all the work and the preparation that went into the dedication service and that weekend and then turn around and have Easter weekend. But uh, I was just so impressed and so thankful for my church family that has gone above and beyond time and time again in all that you do for the Lord, for his kingdom. So thank you very much. Jesus says here, after this manner, therefore pray ye. So this is how you, you should pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Let the church say amen. He goes on to say, For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And tonight I want to uh, teach from this topic, Forgiven and Forgiving. Forgiven and Forgiving. Let us pray one more time, but specifically let's ask the Lord to speak to us tonight all through this place and even those that will listen to this recording. We believe that the word of God is alive and it's able to touch and speak to our hearts. Lord, we love you. Thank you so much for the privilege and opportunity to be here gathered together in your name. I'm asking that your spirit will just continue to move and stir in this place and that our hearts will be ready and receptive to the word of God. Each and every person under the sound of my voice, Lord, if it be possible, if they are willing, I pray that with receptive hearts they would hear the word of God, that we would receive that precious seed into the good soil of our hearts, that it might take root and bear fruit in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name and give you all thanks and praise. Amen. Amen. Before you're seated, shake hands with somebody and ask them, are you forgiven? Amen. Are you forgiven? For those that, you know, for some... I used, uh, I'm not sure if you knew, I used two variations of, of, of the same root word here, for forgiven and forgiving. I know some folks that talk in such a way that those words are pronounced identical. Forgiven. And uh, 
Sorry, that was poor humor. There was a Sunday school teacher that asked her class uh, just to make sure that the lesson was coming across and that she had made her point clear and that they understood it. And she asked her students, can anyone tell me what you must first do before you could obtain forgiveness of sin? And very quickly, just as soon as she asked the question, there was a young boy in the class that raised his hand that was so sure that he knew the answer. She called on him, and uh, he answered, and the, the boy sp spoke up and said, Sin! You have to sin before you can obtain forgiveness. And that is very true. If you've never sinned, I suppose that you don't have to be forgiven. Now, we could pretty much all hold up our hands or our, our imaginary pens and check that off the list because we have all sinned. In fact, that's exactly what Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 says. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And if that wasn't clear enough, in the book of Romans, again, three chapters later, in chapter 6 and verse, or 5, verse 12, rather, it says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So, yes, that's correct. You have to sin before you could obtain forgiveness of sin. But we could all assuredly say that we have checked that off our list. Now, I want you to think about that. I know that seems elementary, but I want you to think about that. Everyone in this room, everyone that will ever hear this recording, everyone has sinned. Doesn't matter how good-looking they might be right now as far as, you know, they got, looks like they got their life together. looks like, you know, they mind their P's and Q's, dot their I's, cross their T's, and it seems like they are the most faithful of faithful and they are righteous among the righteous. All have sinned. Whether, whether it seems like they, they, they are obviously a sinner or some less obvious, all have sinned. But thanks be to God, in that same book, the book of Romans, chapter 5 and verse 7, it says, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. For scarcely. I, it, it, would, it would be rare but possible that for a righteous man someone would die for a righteous man. Yet pre-adventure for a good man some would even dare to die. You saw someone that their life hung in the balance. And they were good. They were righteous. They were someone that you thought to yourself they deserved to live. You would fight for them. You would put your life on the line. You might even die for a person like that. But God commends his love toward us. Someone say, that's me. God commends his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, when we were far from righteous and Far from good, Christ died for us. We weren't anywhere near righteous. We weren't anything close to something that could be called good. And while we were in that state, Christ died 
for us. And so when we choose to put our faith in the Lord, in his sacrifice, and in response to putting our faith in him and his sacrifice, we repent of our sins. We are forgiven. Forgiven. In other words, because of his death, burial, and resurrection, and our response to that good news, we have been given the gift of his mercy and of his grace and of salvation and of healing and of freedom and the list really could go on and on and on. We have been given these things because of his sacrifice and our response in obedience to his sacrifice we have received, we have been given, we have been forgiven. Oh, that precious blood that we talked about this past Sunday. It came at a very, very high price. And like a lamb dumb before his shear, he opened not his mouth. He gave his back to those that would whip him and scourge him. He gave his hands and feet to those who would nail him to an old rugged cross. It would do us good. I know maybe we didn't quite give it the time and the attention, but who really can give it the time and attention that it really deserves? But it would do us good every now and again in our Christian walk to visit the cross, to visit really the sufferings and the death of Jesus Christ and the price that he paid so that his blood would be shed, his life would be given, so that I could be forgiven. Oh, not only the precious blood and the price that was paid. It's not only good to visit the cross and to visit the sufferings of Jesus Christ, but it would also be good not to linger long, but just to visit every once in a while our past. And to remember the pit that he pulled us out of. To remember the sin that that stain on our souls that he, his precious blood, was able to blot out and wash. <laughs> you weren't always as good looking as you are now. I don't mean that in the vain sense. I, I mean that in the sense that you, your life is far cleaner perhaps than it used to be. There has been some great improvements made to your life through the years and through his blood and through his grace and mercy. My, 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 if some of the people here on Easter Sunday could have saw you at your lowest, could have saw you at your worst, maybe they wouldn't have been sitting so close to you. They might not have even felt comfortable bringing their children through the doors of this building. Any real people here tonight? I'm talking about the worst, not the worst that we tell people about. I'm talking about the worst that we've never told anybody about but Jesus. Because we all have that. So not only is the price great, but also our sin was great. We have been forgiven. <laughs> and doesn't it feel good? To be on the receiving end of mercy and grace. 
Mercy and grace that we did not deserve. Mercy and grace that we could not and did not earn. But aren't you glad that God offered it to us freely before we even knew to ask for it. Before we even turned our hearts and our faces towards Calvary. Before we even bowed a knee, he offered it freely. Grace and mercy. Now, let me ask this question. If being on the receiving end of grace feels this good, and it does feel good, then how great must it be to be on the giving end of grace and mercy? Does anybody recall this scripture in Acts chapter 20 and verse 35? I won't read the entire scripture, but Acts 20, 35, we find that Jesus told his disciples that it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. It's more blessed. It's happier. You're happier to give than you are to receive. It's better to give than it is to receive. And if it feels this good to receive grace, to receive mercy, then how good must it be to give it? So let's turn our attention to Matthew chapter 18. We've already read for our text from Matthew chapter 6 where Jesus taught us to pray and in the prayer he told us to pray that we would be forgiven as we forgive others their debts. But now let's turn our attention to Matthew chapter 18. Open up your Bibles. Turn to Matthew 18 verse 21. The scripture records that Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how often should uh, my brother sin against me and I still forgive him? What's the threshold? At what point do, do I get to... To not forgive him anymore. Where's that thresh? Where's that bar? How about I'll just I'll just I'll just toss out this suggestion because I'm generous like that, Peter says. How about seven times? Is that good? That's pretty good, isn't it? If my brother was to offend and 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 turn and I forgive him seven times, is that pretty good? Jesus looks at Peter and says, I say not unto thee until seven times, but he says until 70 times seven, which no doubt blew Peter's mind and all of his disciples. When they thought they were being generous with seven times, he absolutely blows them out of the water with 490 times. <laughs> He goes on to say, therefore is the kingdom of heaven like unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him 10,000 talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, his wife, his children, all that he had, and payment be made for this great debt that he owed of 10,000 talents. Verse 26, the servant therefore fell down, worshiped the king, saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him or let him go and forgave him the debt. Then there's a sequel. <laughs> there's a second scene. The same servant that was just forgiven, he went out, found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. And laid hands on him, took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. His fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Sounds almost identical to what the man had just done before the king. And now the fellow servant before this man that had just been forgiven does the same. Forgive me. I'll pay you everything. 
But that fellow servant, we find he took him and he cast him into prison and would not let him go until all the debt was paid. So when his fellow servants, when the others, when the bystanders saw what was done, they were very sorry, came and told their lord, the king, all that was done. Then his lord after that called him and said unto him, Oh, you wicked servant, you are wicked. I forgave you everything that you owed because you wanted that. You desired that from me. Should not thou also have had compassion on your fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? Should not the pity that I showed you be passed on to those who owe you? And his Lord was angry, delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. Wow. These words from our Lord Jesus should shake us to our core and cause us to carefully examine our hearts regularly for unforgiveness. Just a moment ago, I thought to myself, what kind of message is this? The Wednesday night after Easter. But you know what? What kind of message is this? The Wednesday night after Easter. When on Easter and Resurrection Sunday and this holy week that just passed, when we would consider all the suffering and the death and all that he did to pay for our sins, to pay for our salvation, when we consider all that, there should be a natural graduation in this next service to consider if he did that for me, then how should I love and forgive others that, that offend me? You see, the story of the servant that was forgiven this great debt by the king would not have the same compassion he was shown on the man who owed him a small debt. You read commentary, you read scholars' thoughts and suggestions and commentary and opinions on this parable, they'll come up with all kinds of amounts. They will conjecture and guess and estimate how much did that man owe. But the bottom line was this. Whatever he owed, that 10,000 talents, whatever that is worth in modern currency, whatever it's worth, it's impossible. The bottom line or the point was that it was impossible for him to pay. And we, every one of us, are or were those servants or that servants owing more than we could possibly ever pay, even if we gave all that we were, all that we have, and all the rest of our lives, we could not pay off the debt that we owed because of our sin. And the wages of sin is death. That's the debt. It's death. Let me just pause and, and and take this real quick commercial break, that's actually also the reason why Jesus rose from the dead. That's why Jesus was able to escape the bonds of death and of the grave. It's because Jesus, though he was tempted in every way as we are tempted, he was without sin. The wages of sin is death. And Jesus, he knew that, committed no sin. So when he died, death could not hold him. It had nothing on him. It could not keep him. But some would estimate that this great debt, this 10,000 talents could have been worth, if it was gold, somewhere around $6 billion in modern currency. If it was silver, $75 million in modern currency. Whatever it was, the bottom line was it was something that this man, it was impossible for him to pay off. Now, 
We all come by it a little natural. Well, quite literally, we do. It is in our own human nature, our flesh, that we naturally are inclined to resent rather than to release. Every, every one of us are naturally inclined to be demanding rather, to be, rather than to be forgiving. That's, that's how we were born. To resent rather than release. Demand rather than forgive. And the forgiven man who should have lived in light of what he had just received, in gratitude, now living in gratitude for the freedom that he is now enjoying. Instead, he went out to a man who relatively owed him a small sum. In fact, some would estimate, if we're going to give a modern dollar amount, it would be about 20 bucks. We went from billions or millions to a man that owed $20. Whatever it was, it was 500,000 times less than what he was just forgiven, that he is now taking a man by the throat and demanding it and throwing him in a debtor's prison. So just remember, biblically, God's forgiveness is conditional. So before we choose to resent and to demand, let us remember that God's forgiveness, I know that nobody wants to say this in modern Christianity, in American Christianity, in prosperity gospel kind of Christianity. Nobody wants to say this. But newsflash, God's forgiveness is entirely conditional. Oh, sure, he, he died for you before you even knew to ask for his forgiveness. He died for us while we were yet sinners. That's all good. That's all true. But listen to the words found in Mark chapter 11, verse 25 and 26. Mark 11, 25 and 26. These are the words of Jesus when he says, And when you stand praying, forgive, if, ye ought, if you have aught against any, but that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Verse 26, but if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. Though freely offered and given to repentant sinners, nevertheless, his forgiveness remains conditional for us according to an individual's willingness to forgive others. In other words, I and you can forgive, or excuse me, forfeit your forgiveness by God by simply maintaining an unforgiving heart. Forgiven and forgiving. Forgiven. Am I? Am I forgiven? Are you forgiven? That's a good question, isn't it? While we could, while we could thank God and, 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 and point to scriptures about repentance, remission of sins, let's not, let's not hastily just glide right over the word repentance. Repentance for what? A turning away from what? An absolving of a lifestyle that is not in alignment with the word of God or pleasing to the spirit of God. Am I forgiven? Well, to answer that question, you need to ask yourself, are you forgiving? 
Are you forgiving those that have hurt you, that have caused you pain, that have taken advantage of you, used you, perhaps even abused you? Have you forgiven them? It's a tough subject, isn't it? Because you don't know what someone said to me, and you don't know what they did to me, right? And I don't in any way seek to trivialize or minimize the pain that you felt by the people that have wounded you deeply. But just go back again and visit the cross. Just go back again and read in scriptures and see Christ crucified. And just go back again and see where he pulled you from and remember what he forgave you of and remember the grace that he offered to you and the mercy that he gave to you. New every morning. It's a wonder to me. I was just reading from the book of Hez, uh, the book of uh, First Kings, and I was reading of the story of Hezek, uh, Ahab, rather Ahab, who was married to that wicked queen Jezebel. Ahab, that man that surpassed all others in his own wickedness. It's a marvel to me, brother Craig. At the end of his life, recorded in First Kings. The prophet comes to him and tells him, because of your wickedness, you're going to die an awful death and your family's going to be completely blotted out. You've done wrong and evil in the sight of God. And the Bible records that Ahab wept softly. He rent his garments. He sought the Lord. And the Lord said, you know what? I'm going to push off the full wrath until after your life. Like, what? Did, did you just read what he did to Nadab for his vineyard. Did you just read what he did to Elijah the prophet and how he had 800 prophets of Baal in the groves and all of this? Did you read all that? It's a wonder to me that God, God would still offer mercy to Ahab. And God has forgiven. He has had mercy. He has shown grace to every one of us, beyond what one could ever even ask or imagine could be possible. Because there's some folks in this room that you feel like, you know what, my spouse and my kids and my family and my parents, they've forgiven me, but there's some things that they don't even know about that if I told them I'd be afraid that they would never forgive me of those things. But you know what? The Lord knows and the Lord saw your heart and the Lord heard your prayer and he has mercy on you. He has mercy, he has grace, he has love. And before we get off and say, you know what? If you knew what they said, if you knew what they did, if you knew how they took advantage of me, if you knew how they hurt me, how deeply it hurt, then you would feel the same way I do. Yes, you're right, I would. But I remember what he did for me. I remember how deep the stain of sin was in my life that he forgave me of. I, I know what he has forgiven me of. And if he can forgive me, then I could forgive them. Because if I am forgiven, then it's time I be forgiving. But if you are having a problem with this, you're not alone. <laughs> turn turn your, in your Bibles to Luke chapter 17. 
turn your attention to Luke chapter 17, verse 1. And we'll just kind of quickly read through these verses here. Then said he unto the disciples. So Jesus says to his disciples, Luke 17, 1. Jesus says to the disciples, it is impossible. But that offenses will come. Listen, if you're, if you're living on this green planet, breathing this air, you're going to be offended. It's going to happen. Let's stop being surprised or acting surprised when it does, does come. We're going to be offended. But before you take license and say, well, hey, offenses are going to come, so I'm just going to have my way with that and offend my sister and my brother all day long. Hey, Jesus said, offenses will come. I'm just... I'm just the messenger. But woe unto him through whom they come. Woe. Settle down. It it were better for him that a millstone were hung about his neck and he cast into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. The Lord takes offense to offenses and those who cause them. Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. So he's not saying be a doormat, right? Sometimes we, we kind of run and misinterpret or misunderstand the subject of forgiveness that Christ calls us to, and we think ourselves that Christians ought to be these doormats. No, listen, if someone offends you, call him out. Rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a single day, and seven times in that day turn again to you saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. I mean, you would think three times, four, six times? I'm questioning your repentance, man. (laughs) But if they repent, forgive them. And at this teaching, the apostles, these great apostles, we're not even, like, I love how it goes from disciples, now it's the apostles. I mean, we're talking about the magnificent 11. (laughs) Right? That, there was one that wasn't so magnificent. But the magnificent 11, these apostles, these great apostles, the foundations of that new Jerusalem are going to be named after them. These apostles. They look at Jesus after this saying that he tells them that if someone offends you seven times in a day and they turn back and repent, forgive them seven times in a day, and they say to the Lord, increase our faith. Increase our faith. These are, these are jokers that they could, they could see the dead raised back to life. They could see blind eyes open. They could unstop deaf ears. They could cause the lame to walk. They could cast out demons in the name of Jesus. But when it comes to forgiving seven times in a single day, and then when tomorrow begins, they get another seven times. Hey, Lord, I know that we could be mighty indeed, and miracles and wonders could follow us, but this stuff is tough. So if you feel like this subject of forgiveness that Christ calls us to is difficult for you to swallow, join the club. The disciples said, listen, if we're going to accomplish this, you need to help us. Increase our faith. Increase our faith. Faith, which I think is interesting, that they asked for faith.
increase our love or increase our, you know, our patience. No, increase our faith from which all else flows. Our faith in you, our faith that you are a just and a righteous judge. And Lord, vengeance belongs to you. And if I do my part, then I can have faith that you will do your part. So there's a story found in Luke chapter 7, and, and we won't read from it, but it's a story of a woman that's in the city. She's a sinner. Everyone knows she's a sinner. She enters the room where Jesus and his disciples are at, and she goes straight to Jesus and begins to break open an alabaster box, washing his feet with her tears, drying them with her hair, kissing his feet, and anointing them with this precious ointment, and there's conversation going on. People are like, listen, does Jesus even know who this woman is. Maybe he has heard this woman is a great sinner. But by the end of the story, we find that Jesus asks them a question or he poses it in a parable. He says, one's forgiven much, one's forgiven little. Who do you think is going to praise more? The one who's forgiven much. And he says, her sins which are many are forgiven for she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. So this is applying to Jesus we can, measure, we can measure the amount that we've been forgiven by the amount of praise that we offer, right? The love, that's what he's saying. The, your love depicted to your Savior displays how you feel how much you've been forgiven. I know we've said from this pulpit multiple times, great is the Lord and he is greatly to be praised. Great were my sins that were forgiven, and therefore I should greatly praise the Lord, is what this scripture is saying. My praise displays how much I feel like I've been forgiven, my love for him. But I think it goes beyond that as we see the scriptures calling us to love as Christ loves. He says, you know what? You should reciprocate or imitate the same type of love that you feel like you've received is the same type of love that you should portray or give. You've been forgiven, so start forgiving the same way that you've been forgiven. And so Christ is our perfect example. Turn your attention to Luke chapter 23 and verse 33. Christ is the perfect example. And it is he who we are to follow every day, not just on Sunday. Luke 23 verse 33. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, they, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand, the other on the left, verse 34 of Luke 23, then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiments, raiment and cast lots. There's our example. Bloody, bruised, broken, and hanging on a cross. And humiliation. But with some of his last dying breath, he used it to forgive the very people that crucified him. And so we have instructions that are found in Ephesians chapter 4. You could also see almost a mirror 
scripture in Colossians, but Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 31. Ephesians 4 verse 31. The apostle tells the church in Ephesus, he says, let all, everyone say all. Say all. All bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. How? Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Here in Ephesians, we are not only presented with the instructions on how we should live, verse 32, but also with the alternative lifestyle if we choose not to live forgiving as God forgave us for Christ's sake. Here's the alternative. We live with bitterness. It's, it's, like we, it's like we forget this, right? You know, when we choose not to forgive, when we choose to be resentful, when we choose not to let go of grudges, it's like we forget what the alternative is. There's just really two sides to this coin. We either forgive and love as Christ loved us, or we choose to have all bitterness Bitterness meaning harshness or an embittered, resentful spirit. We'll choose to have all wrath, which is an outburst of passion. We'll have all anger, which is a violent passion. The root word is actually a justifiable abhorrence. By implication, it is punishment for what someone did to you. Anger, lashing out. Giving what you have received. Anger. Clamor. You'll have all clamor if you want. That means to shout, to cry, to outcry. Clamoring against each other. To outcry. Evil speaking, which is very interesting because the word evil speaking there in the Greek is blasphema. Blasphemia, which is from the word blasphemy. And that is abusive or insulting or defamatory language. Blasphemy. You choose, I choose not to forgive. Well, the alternative is I choose a lifestyle of blasphemy, of insulting or defamatory language where anytime that person's name comes up in conversation, I have to somehow spin it to defame their character. Well, did you know that they did this? Did you know that they went here? I may not even say what they did to me, but I'm going to make sure that nobody thinks good of them. Malice, malice meaning badness or depravity or malignity or trouble, rotten. Remember that refusing to forgive and remaining bitter and hateful, the old saying goes, it's like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. What a bizarre thing it is, isn't it? To remain unforgiving or bitter. And, and, and for, some, for some in this place, I don't know, maybe for some in this place, I'm not exposing or the word of God is not just exposing how you feel in your heart towards others, but, but for some perhaps it's even exposing in our hearts how we have even allowed ourselves to feel towards our God. We are to forgive. That's giving. We've been on the receiving end. Now it's time to be on the giving side of things. It's an opportunity for us to present a beautiful gift that is becoming increasingly rare in this world. 
I mean, I, I, I don't know. We could maybe have a show of hands. How many saw a great display of forgiveness in the secular world today? Maybe it was at your job site. How about in the last week, month, I don't know, three, four months? Has anyone? How many stories in the headlines and in news are you hearing about great stories about forgiveness and a coming together? Quite the opposite, right? It seems like we love to highlight division. We love to highlight outbursts of anger. In fact, I would guess that there's probably almost no one in this room that does not know about Will Smith slapping Chris Rock. You didn't watch the Oscars. You didn't care to watch the Oscars. But somehow you know about that. Right? But you know what you have the opportunity to do? To offer a beautiful, rare gift to mankind when you choose to forgive. When you choose to love even as you have been loved. It is essentially offering this olive tree branch that is traditionally regarded as a symbol of peace. We see it in Genesis chapter 8 when Noah let the dove out the second time and he came back with an olive leaf plucked off. And Noah knew that the waters were abated from off the earth. Wickedness had abated. Wickedness and wrath of God had been poured out. But now it seems like there was an ushering in of a time of peace. But it's not just a gift to those that you offer it too, this forgiveness, but it's a gift for you, the giver. There may be a lot of things, hear me right now, and I'm coming to a close. There may be a lot of things that are completely out of your control, if you're willing to admit it or not. There's a lot of things that you have no control over, and I know that for some of us, it drives us nuts. But can I inform you that this is something that you have complete control over? By the power of Jesus Christ within you, you have complete control in choosing whether or not you will forgive someone or not. Taking, taking their name to the Lord in prayer, not just in the prayer that says, Lord, fry them, Lord, kill them, Lord, bury them somewhere where they'll be forgotten forever. No, Lord, I want you to save them. Lord, have pity on them. Lord, you see that they're living in darkness. Lord, forgive them, for I see as you see that they do not know what they're doing. I'm asking you to bring them to salvation. I'll tell you one one. Uh, Something that happened in my life that uh, I will long remember. When I was in high school, uh, it was after, I want to say it was after either a youth night or after a midweek service. Some friends and I, there was just a few of us, a handful of us, we went to Burger King. It was just around the corner from my house. And while we were there, there were some high school classmates of mine. There was just a couple of guys and... Uh, Looking back, they were probably drunk or high or something, and they were sitting kind of a little way from us and uh, cutting up, and we were just talking, minding our own business, and then, you know, off comes this fry, you know, and then another one, and just like he's, his name was Eric Ganser, <laughs> and uh, like it, it bothered me, and I, I didn't want to put up with it anymore, and uh, 
And I just asked him not, not to do it anymore. And then he's like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Blah, 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 blah. You know, you probably have seen this, you know, a hundred times. And he stands up on the, the chair and he's like staring down at me and yelling at me. And, you know, I'm wanting to confront him and my friends are holding me back. And he swings and knocks me right upside the face. And I, I about lunged at him, and, and we go outside. The workers tell us to go outside, and we're standing, you know, face to face. Our noses are like an inch apart. I just, I, I cool off. I walk away. I don't do anything. I didn't even say anything. I just walked away. I was just disgusted at it. And, and we walked away. And, uh, well, it was like three years later. I, I show up. I'm, I'm in Bible college at this point, And I show up to my home church uh, one weekend. And after service, I didn't even notice who was in service, whatever. It was a great service. And after service, someone comes running up to me, says, Dave Brown. And guess who it was? Eric Kanzer. <laughs> I was like, what? The last time I saw him, he hit me in the face. It's, listen, I know, like, and, and that's just whatever, you know. But there are, who, who can tell? What God can do in the life of someone that wants nothing to do with you, doesn't want to hear anything about your faith, hates your guts, or acts like it, you have no idea how great the grace of God can be, not only in your life, but in those that tick you off, those that make you upset, that those you don't have time for. Lord, help me. Help me. I mean, that was whatever. 20 plus years ago, and I was, but help me to mature in my life and in my walk with God where I, I, I'm not short-fused. I'm not filled with wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking and malice and bitterness. Help me to be full of the love of Jesus Christ. So that's soft, you know, that, you know, that, that'd be all right for our ladies, but I'm a man, you know. I got to stand up. I got to be the protector. I... <laughs> Let me just tell you, the future of a nation and the lineage of Jesus Christ depended on one man's ability to forgive. You read the story of Joseph. Go ahead and read it this week. Read the story of Joseph from the book of Genesis. When he stood before his brothers who betrayed him, as the second most powerful man now in Egypt, and it was in his power either to provide them food and see them live or decline them food and see them starve. And one of his brothers, his name was Judah, and from the tribe of Judah would come the Messiah Jesus. And Joseph, what was he going to do with all that had been dealt to him in his life? Hebrews 12, 15, I close with this. Hebrews 12, we'll, we'll begin with verse 11. We'll close with these few scriptures. Hope you, I, I hope you could join me in these scriptures here. Hebrews 12, verse 11. Now, parentheses, let's just be real, in parentheses. No chastening for the present seems to be joyous. Right? Nobody likes to be punished. Nobody likes to be disciplined and corrected and told you're wrong. But it, initially, it's, it's grievous. It's, it's painful. But nevertheless, afterward, if you submit to it, 
it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to them which are exercised thereby. If you allow it to be exercised for you, it's going to build the muscle of righteousness, of peace. Verse 12, wherefore, that means because of what I just said, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. Make straight the paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Don't don't sit off in the corner and suck your thumb and backslide. Get up. You've been corrected. Yeah, you're wrong. You need to let go. You need to forgive. You you need to correct course. Get up. Lift up your hands. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently. Keep a lookout, lest any man fail of the grace of God. There it is. Right? If we choose not to forgive, we will not be forgiven. And that is how you fail from God's grace. Because a root of bitterness has sprung up inside of you, troubling you. And thereby, who be defiled? Many. Because roots spread undercover, underground, not just in your yard. But it has this ripple effect, and it touches many lives. Wow. You see, this bitterness that I won't let go of is not just going to affect me. It's going to affect many. Huh. You see, in Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 18, Moses actually refers almost to the same thing. And it seems like Paul, when he writes, or perhaps Paul writes to the Hebrews, he's referring to Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 18, and he's talking about the gall or wormwood. Actually, in the book of Acts chapter 8, uh, I believe it's is it Peter. He looks at Simon the sorcerer, and he says, you've got the gall of bitterness in you. <laughs> you see, we could either offer the olive branch of peace, or we could be eaten up with bitterness like gall or worm, wormwood, which is poisonous, a poisonous herb. Let's stand together. It's bitter to the taste and poison to the stomach. And that's exactly what it is. It's our choosing to not love and forgive like Jesus Christ. It only poisons us. It kills us from the inside out. But Christ has given us a new commandment in John 13, verse 34. I give this to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you would also love one another.